So uh, we'll be in 1 Thessalonians uh, 2, 13 through 16. This is the third lesson in our series in 1 Thessalonians. But I want to start off with um, talking about the Ukrainian and Russian war. I don't know how much you guys have been following that or um, seen that on the news, but it seems like it, the story pops up on my news feed like every day, probably because... Google has some algorithm that knows that I'm interested in it because I'm clicking on it. Um, but the, the pictures and the accounts of what's going on over there, is like, it truly shocks me. And growing up and seeing pictures from World War II and you know, seeing the videos and, and watching the movies, you know, World War II almost didn't seem real. Like you see it in like black and white, it, it felt like it was long ago and it, it was just this fictional thing but seeing the buildings in the ukraine and the, the and the rubble that they're in and seeing how eerily similar it is to the pictures that we saw from germany and from poland and, and different places in europe back in world war ii it, it's really terrifying it really like brings it into perspective um now that it's happening in the current time in in our in our lifetime um, but along with the horrible pictures of the, you know, the buildings and, and rubble and everything, you, you, there's these incredible stories of people who are laying down their lives for their country. You, know, you have non-military members who are volunteering to fight to protect their homes. I mean, and, and a president who is willing to stay in the war zone so that he can encourage his troops to fight and, and, um, and to support them. And all of this is against an enemy that is ethnicity-wise very similar to to the Ukrainians themselves. And you could say that the Ukrainians and the Russians are can consider themselves countrymen because of uh, the two in their history of being part of the old Soviet Union. And the amount of courage that the men and women have to fight for their country and their, their city and their homes is, is truly astounding. But we know as Christians that countries and cities and, e and even our homes are temporary in this world, that this life is just a pit stop in, in the, uh, the idea of eternity. And we consider the, the Thessalonians and the way that they were dragged out of their homes um, by their own countrymen, as we'll see in our text today. Um, and it was for a much even more dire reason. I mean, the stakes were even higher for the Thessalonians. Their eternity, their salvation was on the line back in that day. So were they going to choose to stand their ground in the hope that in God's word? We've already heard from the last couple of weeks, Matt and Nathan, um, talking about the Thessalonians' perseverance through affliction. And today I'm going to go through how God's word, or another way to say it, the gospel, helps those who receive it and accept it into their hearts. So flip over to 1 Thessalonians 2. We'll be in verses 13 through 16 today. <clears throat> 1 
And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same thing from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out, and displeased God and opposed all my, mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. So going back to Matt's lesson from a couple weeks ago in chapter 1, he, dis, he talked about the three pillars that Paul describes this, the Thessalonian church by. And those were faith, labor of love, and perseverance of hope. And today we're going to focus on that third pillar, the perseverance of hope. And I've titled my lesson today, God's Word is the Source of Perseverance. And we'll look at it in three sections. The first section is, be thankful to God when his word is received and working in you. Second being, follow, following God's word puts you in good company. And lastly, following God's word rescues us from God's wrath. So starting with that first section, be thankful to God when, you, when his word is received and working in you. <clears throat> Paul starts off the text by giving thanks to God, the Thessalonians received God's word, not man's word. We've already seen up to this point how, how proud Paul is of the Thessalonian church and their faith in the Lord. And this was achieved through the Thessalonians by hearing the word of God through Paul and Silvanus and Timothy. And if you look at verse 13 carefully, you can see what exactly Paul is thankful for um, to God. Um, look at it again with me, and I'll, I'll try to emphasize some of the words and phrases to have it stick out a little bit easier. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is. The Word of God. And as I mentioned earlier, the Word of God can also be thought of or is synonymous with the gospel. The gospel. And Paul in his letter to the Colossians said as much in uh, chapter 1, verse 5. Because of the hope laid up in you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. The word of God, the word of the truth, the gospel, are all ways that Paul refers to God's hope for his people. And when we receive and accept the gospel, that's when we receive the power of perseverance, of hope. It's a hope that God's word has the power to save. And knowing that man's word is, is fleeting. And that the only, and only through God can one receive the word and be saved through it? This is the reason why Paul says he's so fervently praying in verse 13. Or so, as some translations say, praying without ceasing. 
So this praying without ceasing is, is the same that we saw back in chapter 1 when Paul says he was praying and giving thanks to God for the Thessalonians' faith, labor of love, and perseverance of hope. Paul understands that the power that man's word can have on, on anybody. And we see warnings of following man's word or earthly wisdom throughout Scripture. And James 3.14, which we taught back in December, states, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not, be, do not boast to be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. It's also the, the false teaching that Nathan talked about last week in his, his lesson, talking about the churches that, that preach health, wealth, and prosperity, and that our best life is here on earth. And it's in direct contrast with the examples that also that Nathan gave last week, talking about how Paul spoke with boldness of God amidst opposition. The way that he spoke to please God, not man. And how he labored to proclaim the gospel so that they would learn to walk in a manner worthy of God. I think you're starting to get see this, this repetition of God. So what were those words that, of God that Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy were speaking to the Thessalonians about? And then spreading forth throughout the land. These men would have been teaching from the Old Testament and the good news of Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of those Old Testament teachings. The New Testament wouldn't have been compiled at this point and, be, um, and, and wouldn't have been taught from. And even this letter points to a pastime that Paul is referring to when the men visited Thessalonica and shared the word with the Thessalonians. And in Acts 17, it specifically says what Paul was teaching, starting at the end of verse 2. The account says, He reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, who I proclaim to you, is the Christ. The men would have been pointing to old Testament scriptures such as the Psalms, and specifically Psalm 22 that prophesies the crucifixion. He would have been talking about the stories of 1 Samuel, Samuel that the women are studying on Monday nights and how that pointed to Jesus. He would have been talking about the prophecy of Daniel when he speaks of the Son of Man and how Jesus was the fulfillment of all of it. Now, the key to what Paul is referring to is that the Thessalonians not only received the word, but they also accepted it. And Paul understands through the teaching of Jesus, through the four soils, and probably through his own experiences, that many people can hear the gospel. They may even seem or say that they've, they've accepted it, but only those who truly accept it. The ones of the, the one soil that had the, the fertile ground to accept it will receive the power of God's word. And it's within that power that the living word works in men. 
Look at the end of verse 13 with me. Paul says, The word of God, which is at work in you believers. The writer of Hebrews describes the word of God this way in chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. I mean, wow, what, what an illustration of what's happening within someone when they receive God's word, when they receive the gospel and truly accept it. It's so you can, it, it, you can picture it being woven into the person's soul who receives it, into their DNA, and it, it's like it's creating a new person. It's changing their, the structure of that person. They're becoming a rescued soul as we know happens when someone receives God's word and, and Jesus as their savior. It's no wonder that Paul tells us the word of God is at work in you believers. I mean, it becomes the very essence of those who receive it and have it in them. It's no different than what we saw back when we were um, in James in chapter 2 when he says, faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. When you've received God's word, you can't help but to talk differently, to act differently, and can't help but just to share that with anybody that you're going to run across in this world. And that's what we heard was happening with the Thessalonians back in chapter 1. In verse 8, Paul tells us, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, in Macedonia and in Achaia. But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. The Thessalonians couldn't help but just to share the gospel, the, the word of God with everybody that they came across. And it's not a stretch to say that that was much like what Paul was doing and what the disciples were doing and what the early churches in Jerusalem were doing when they were spreading the gospel throughout the, across Judea themselves. And while all this was happening, Paul just couldn't help but to constantly thank God because he's the one who was orchestrating and making it all happen. And this is where we transition to the second point in the lesson. Following God's word puts you in good company. <clears throat> I mean, what greater compliment could it be at that time than what is told in verse 14. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. I mean, that'd be like telling an up-and-coming basketball player that they're just like LeBron or Kobe, or to use Jeff's illustration from last week, like the bad boys, like Isaiah and Dumars. I mean, at, at this point, the Thessalonians are reading this and probably giving each other high fives and really feeling good about themselves. At least, that's what it seems like. But in reality, they unfortunately knew what Paul was really referring to when he said that they were being or becoming imitators of the churches in Judea. Verse 14 concludes, For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen, 
as they did from the Jews. Acts 17, which I referenced earlier, specifically tells us in verse 5, after Paul's teaching persuaded some of them, and here's the text, but the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob. So just a little bit of historical context to explain who's who in this verse. The mob that was formed by the Jews in Thessalonica are the own countrymen that Paul was referring to in our text. And the mob was made up of Jews and Gentiles. The Jews that Paul was comparing the Thessalonian countrymen to were the Jewish religious leaders who opposed the churches of Judea. So just so you have a little bit of context of who's who when he's talking here. And yet the Thessalonians' acceptance of God's word through this type of affliction could only come from the strength of perseverance through God's word. And by comparing God's people in Thessalonica to the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, it shows that no matter where the gospel's received or how the gospel's received and what circumstances they're received in, God's word will always prevail. And Paul goes on to use this opportunity to pile on to the, the many circumstances and situations that when God's people were persecuted by the Jews. And I think this is for two reasons. The first being to explain a little bit of what Paul's going to go into later in our text, and we'll go into that in a little bit. But also for, to help the Thessalonians to understand that the affliction that they were going through wasn't unique. I mean, verse 15, speaking of the, the Jews, the religious leaders, and this is our, our text again, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. So why was it important for the Thessalonians to understand that they weren't alone in this suffering? I mean, you think about when you're going through a particularly difficult situation, and you're going through a trial, how comforting it is to know that somebody else is going through that same thing or had gone through that same thing, and you could talk to somebody about it. You can share it and, and get some encouragement from them. I mean, we've unfortunately had a few people in our church who have lost parents at a very young age, and I can't imagine the grief and the pain that they had to go through with that. But I have no doubt that the Lord brought all of them together into this one church so that they had each other to go to so they could comfort each other and encourage each other through their trial. And that's why it's so important, it's been an emphasis of our elders to foster relationships amongst us in, in our church so that we can have each other and know each other on, on a level that we can share each other's struggles. We can share our praises and be there for one another to lift each other up. And isn't that one of the main purposes of a church anyway? Not, not just to hear a message on Sunday morning, but so that we can get together and know each other on a, a, a greater level so we can help each other grow in our faith and encourage one another. Because life can be tough. 
I mean, we're going to, we may not run into, be run out of town or be killed for our, our faith, but despite having the word of God in us, we're still human. We're still living in fallen bodies that are going to go through health issues. We're still going to lo- lose loved ones, perhaps have broken relationships because of our faith. So think about how these young Christians in Thessalonica would have easily succumbed to the threats of a mob coming at them and how they could have easily fallen away from their faith without the encourage of the encouragement of knowing that others had gone through similar persecution before. And look at who Paul compares them to. First, the Lord Jesus himself, who not only lowered himself to the point of becoming man, but also welcomed pain, suffering, even death, for the joy of knowing that his death was necessary and the path to those who, who believed in him to the Father. Right. Hebrews 2, 9 and 10 say, But we see him who for, for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And if suffering even to the point of death, wasn't spared for Jesus, why would we expect anything less for ourselves? Secondly, Paul mentions the prophets who also were killed by the Jews. Jesus speaks of this when he was in the temple in Matthew 23, saying, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills prophets and stones those who are sent to it really speaks to the, the longevity of the persecution that God's people had been subject to by the Jews. Jesus mentions the killing of prophets other times in the Gospels as well, which I'll re- reference a little bit later. Lastly, Paul speaks of himself being drove out by the Jews. Listen to this account from Acts 13, when Paul was in Antioch with Barnabas, starting in verse 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Now tell me if this sounds familiar. Back to the text. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoke by Paul, reviling him. Let me pick it back up in verse 49. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. Now here's where the Thessalonians certainly picked up some of their courage to stand strong in the faith of God's word. Acts 13 ends in verse 51 and 52. But they, Paul and Barnabas, shook, the, shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I mean, how many people can say that after what they went through, they would say they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit? 
but that could only come from the word of the Lord, and not anything worldly or from man. And no doubt Paul was joyous because he knew that he was being treated just like Jesus was, just like the prophets were treated before him. And Paul would have known and taught on the on Jesus's teachings about suffering, specifically in Matthew five eleven and twelve, which were the last of the Beatitudes. Jesus said, "Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven." For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. By Paul comparing the Thessalonians to the likes of Jesus, the prophets, and himself amidst their suffering, he doesn't want them to go through that, but it affirms his belief that the Thessalonians received God's word and that it was working in them. And that brings us to um, section 3. Although Paul may have found joy in the Thessalonians' trouble, he doesn't mince words about the feelings that he has towards the Jews that were causing them. Again, speaking of the Jews in verse 15, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might might be saved. And remember the third section, the third point in the lesson, following God's word rescues us from God's wrath. And it's interesting that Paul uses the word displease here in our text because of his use and his emphasis of pleasing God back in, um, pleasing God and not man back in verse 4 from Nathan's text last week. Paul explains that the actions of the Jews were the exact opposite of what teaching God's word is all about. Not only does it displease God, but it, it, it opposes all mankind. It prevents who, those who haven't heard the word, and in this case the Gentiles, what is necessary for them to be saved. And this was the great commission from God to save the people of the world that was given to Adam and to Noah and it was perfectly delivered by Jesus and then was passed on to Paul. And anyone that opposes that great commission, anyone who stands in the way of the gospel doesn't align themselves with God. And we have the, the, the examples of the many tribes in the Old Testament that stood in the way of the Israelites when they were entering the promised land. So what is it? What is to happen to those who stand in a way of God's word being spread? Paul sp- speaks specifically of the Jews, saying at the end of verse 16, and I'm going to use the Christian Standard Translation for this. As a result, they are constantly filling up their sins to the limit, and wrath has overtaken them at last. You can imagine a, a, a bathtub filling up with water and with each iniquity that the Jews has committed against God's people, it's filling up more and more. 
and to the point it reaches the top and God says, no more. Jesus speaks of this during his seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees in the temple in Matthew 23. Verse 31 says, Thus you witness against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. Just like Jesus, Paul would have witnessed or had heard of the atrocities that the Jews had committed against God's people, and he unleashes on the Jews the, the promise of God's wrath upon them, that at last, or to, to the utmost, as it could be translated, it has a, a finality meaning. Yes? I was just going to say, uh, Paul not only heard of it, participated Absolutely. Right? Yes. Right. Absolutely, yes. Thanks for that point. And that at last, or that utmost, has a, has a finality meaning to it, meaning that Paul's referring to the final judgment against them. Jesus also, right at, after the text I had referenced earlier, says, How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? For the Lord is an avenger, as Paul says later in this letter to the Thessalonians in chapter 4. But for those who do receive God's word and accept it, they have been rescued from God's wrath through the gospel, through the death, the resurrection, through the ascension of Jesus Christ who took on sin for us so that we would not be eternally punished for our own iniquities. And when we receive God's word by hearing the word, just as Paul and the Thessalonians were saved by hearing the word. So how are our unbelieving friends, friends, family, neighbors going to know about the Lord? How are they going to be rescued without somebody telling them about the good news of Christ? I mean, what's holding us back? Has there been suffering in your past when you have tried to present the gospel before? Or do you have fear that suffering may happen if you do try to present the gospel? Remember those three points that we get from our text. Be thankful to God when his word is received and working you. Don't you want others to experience what you've experienced by having God's word in you? Secondly, that following God's word puts you in good company. Jesus suffered, the prophets suffered, the early churches of Christ suffered. And ultimately, following God's word rescues us from God's wrath. Our friends, our family, our neighbors, our coworkers can't afford to not know the gospel. There's nothing that they can do in this world to ever pay for the horrible sins that they've committed against the Lord. And I'll conclude with this message from 2 Peter 2.9. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Let that be an encouragement to all of you. As we go out in the Great Commission, we all have been called to do, 
It happens to be our mission statement as well, to know Jesus and to make him known. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the men who have been sent before us, that have shared the word with us when we received your, your word and, and it began to work in us, Lord. I pray that you would give us the boldness, give us the strength, give us the, um, the opportunities to speak to our friends, to our family, and to our neighbors, our coworkers who have not heard the gospel. May we have the, the, the intentionality and just um, the desire to reach out to those who don't know you, Lord, so they may be and may have what we have in us, Lord, and what we have through your word. I pray that this is an encouragement to all of us, Lord, and that we would take this in, in, into our daily lives and that we would be thankful for you because it's through you that all, all that we have in us, Lord. Thank you for your son. Thank you for sending him to die for our sins and the, to rise again and to be our Savior. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.